The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Hello and welcome to Linux Reality. This is episode number 80 and this is a uh, guest episode. This is one on the GIMP and I think this is going to be really great. It's a very long episode. It's a lot longer than I sort of, you know, uh, have mentioned before. I've, so I've, you know, when I've talked about people doing the guest podcast, I've, I've mentioned, you know, 15 to 30 minutes, but this one is, is almost an hour, which is fantastic. I mean, you know, the more, the better, uh, or the longer, the better, you know, especially if it's really great. And this one really is great. Uh, certainly for anybody else who's out there considering doing a guest podcast, don't feel like you've got to, you know, do one this long. As I said, I sort of expect 15 to 30 minutes, um, for most of them. Uh, but this is a great one. And this is by a guy named Klaatu. That's what he goes by. And he actually does a podcast called the bad apples. And I'll put a link to it. It's basically the bad info. And his day job, he does video editing, I think some web design, some pro software training, and he's got a really great podcast. It's very cool. I definitely recommend you check it out. He actually has a link to some uh, materials that he'll mention during when you know during his recording, but I'll mention it up front here as well. And of course, I'll put a link in the show notes. But if you go to uh, thebadapples.info/linuxreality, he's got some images there that he uses as sort of you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, material for this particular episode. So you can download those images as you listen and actually make the same edits that he makes. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a good way to learn how to use the GIMP. And I personally found this really helpful because I am, I'm not that good at the GIMP or, or you know, any of that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's, it's very overwhelming to me. I've used Photoshop in the past, but I've never used really, you know, the GIMP all that much other than basic stuff, resizing and cropping and, you know, really simple things. But he goes into some of the tools and some of the extra features about the GIMP and it's really cool. So, uh, I look forward to this and I look forward uh, to hearing you all, um, you know, get your feedback on this. And for anybody else who's, you know, thinking about doing a guest podcast, uh, please just drop me a line. Let me know. And since this one's kind of long, I'm not going to do any listener feedback or listener tips this week. And uh, speaking of the listener tips, you know, just another reminder, if you want to sort of be in uh, the contest for the free copy of the O'Reilly book, uh, LPI certification in a nutshell, you just need to record an audio tip, a listener tip, just, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, just a little tip, send it to me as, a, as an AUG or an MP3 or a wave. And I'll get that in the show. And uh, the best one between now and the end of November will win that book. So uh, please do consider doing that. All right, enough of me jabbering. Let's check out the GIMP. The GNU Image Manipulation Program. Uh, you know it as the GIMP. might have come uh, installed by default on your... Linux distro of choice, but you might not have ever opened it because it is, or if you have, you might have closed it immediately thereafter. It is a little bit overwhelming at first. There's a lot of tools. There's a lot of things that you can do in it. Uh, it's a powerful tool for what is known as digital darkroom. Digital darkroom is something that's developed fairly recently, uh, concurrently with um, the rise of 
of really, really good digital cameras. Um, digital cameras shoot in a variety of different formats. Most of the ones that typical consumers are buying take pictures in a compressed image format that you probably know uh, already. It's called JPEG. Typically very nice quality images, uh, with high resolution, which would be ideal for anything from printing, which is very demanding on resolution, to emailing or posting on a website, which often is, is not doesn't really require much resolution at all. Where you really get into the exciting stuff, I think, is in the um, slightly higher end, although they're coming down in price even now, uh, the higher end digital cameras that shoot in a, a generic format that everyone just kind of uses a catch-all term called RAW. Now, RAW is an uncompressed image that is often completely scrambled and, and com it wouldn't look like an image to you at all. It's just the, the, the raw data. Now, your computer can decode the way that they have placed the uh, digital information onto your, your chip, onto your uh, card, like your SD card or whatever you're using, and um, interpret it into the photograph that it, that it really should be. The great thing about RAW is that they're, they're very, very high quality. They contain a vast amount of color information that you can really get in there and start pulling things up and 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 adjusting contrast and adjusting levels of, for instance, uh, red or amber hues in a picture, or maybe uh, take out maybe if it's harsh, you know, if you've taken a photograph with flash, a lot of times that comes out very blue. Uh, we can take that that blue down and 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 bring it into a more natural, kind of warmer uh, look. So in the digital darkroom, you're taking your your photographs. Your digital, basically your digital negatives. That is, there are no negatives now. It's it's all just a digital file. You take these files into your digital darkroom, and there are four primary functions that uh, most people are going to be doing with their photographs. Uh, there's retouching, such as removing uh, blemishes from from skin or red eye from the uh, from eyes. There is color correction, which, like I say, we've you've taken a photo with a flash on, sometimes it comes out very blue, you want to add a little bit of warmth to it, or vice versa. Maybe you've taken a photograph uh, on your vacation, uh, your skiing vacation, and maybe it came out quite nice because the sun was up, but you really want to convey how cold it was to your your, your, your friends, so you want to take down the, the warmth and, and add a little bit of blue to, to make it look see, seem more chilly. That kind of thing is, is really great for nature photo photography, especially. Uh, where you're trying to capture the vividness of the color that you saw out on your nature walk that's just not quite coming through on your camera. Uh, the third thing is cropping. Uh, very rarely uh, are we getting the, the perfect frame for our photographs. Sometimes we might get the corner of a car window if we're shooting out of our, our window on a vacation or something. Um, or maybe we have some tourists in the shot and really we, what we wanted was just the beautiful scenery perfect time to take in the photograph and crop it and, and get rid of the excess on the edges. The fourth thing that a lot of people do in digital darkroom uh, is resolution management. Uh, especially if you are shooting in raw uh, format, your, your pictures are, are huge. And even in the JPEG um, formats, even at, at 4 megapixels, 6 megapixels, things like that, you're talking about huge images that if you see it 100% on your monitor, uh, you're maybe looking at someone's foot. Um, you zoom zoom way out, and then finally you get to see the whole person. So um, obviously you can't go and post a 4 megapixel or 6 megapixel image on the web and expect people to see it very quickly. 
you can resize it, but still that's a lot of data for them to download um, all at once. So managing resolution, maybe taking it down for the web, uh, maybe compressing the pixels for print, that's something that you're going to do quite well in the digital darkroom as well. There are a couple of different ways to get your photos into uh, the GNU image manipulation program. You can actually do it. I know that I use FSpot for my picture management on my uh, Ubuntu system. That's a great little program uh, from which you, in which you can organize all your photos. I like to go through my photos because typically if I'm out shooting, I come back home and I have 300 photos. Now a lot of times, ten, it, it's 10 photos of, of one thing because I, I keep taking and retaking photos uh, of the same scene or the same setting because I just want to make sure that I have a lot of choices later on. So when I get home, I look at them in F-Spot or you can use Digicam or whatever your photo manager of choice or, or just if you just do it right in your file manager, that's fine too. Uh, but look at the uh, pictures that you have and decide which ones are worth uh, working on, which ones are worth saving and which ones just didn't come out right. Uh, I typically just throw the ones away that I don't like and I keep the ones that I think either have potential or the ones that I want to maybe even combine um, or, or just work on and have two versions of, of, of that photograph. Now, to get it over into GIMP, um, in FSpot I know that you can just right-click on it and say open with the GIMP and it opens right up in GIMP and it even asks you do you want do, whether you want to send the original photo to the GIMP or whether you want it to make a copy and then send that copy to the GIMP. I typically go ahead and send the original uh, that's just my workflow. If you're nervous about, you know, keeping your 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 raw images, uh, your your untouched digital negatives pure, you might want to make a copy and send that that copy to GIMP. The other way, of course, is to simply open up the GIMP, uh, which we'll do in a minute here, and uh, go to the file, go to open, and find the file in your file system that you want to open. Open it up and start working on it. Now, again, there you're you're working on the original, so. So anything that you're going to be doing is affecting that original file. Another way to get a file into GIMP is to scan it in. So this would be not necessarily a digital negative. This would be something maybe you've taken with traditional film. You want to scan it in and work on it. That's known as digital intermediates, or just digitizing if you intend to keep it in a digital format. And uh, it's very common. And the way to do that is uh, simply to, you can go into GIMP, go over to File, and there's a menu selection there for Acquire and you're going to acquire an image via SANE, that's S-A-N-E, uh, which is the scanning driver in Linux. And um, you can scan in your, your project straight into the GIMP and start working on it right away. So those are great options to get the, the work into the GIMP. Let's open it up. Uh, the first time you open it, it's going to ask you a couple of things. First, it was going to ask you if it is okay, if it has your permission, uh, to create some configuration files within your user environment. Um, obviously, it's fine to allow it to do that. It's just going to put some files in your file system that will help it uh, keep track of the things that you like to do in in GIMP and, and where you like tabs to be laid out. Uh, because GIMP has a very flexible and modular uh, setup scheme where you can add your own, uh, you can kind of customize your environment a lot. The other thing it's going to ask you is very important, and that is how much RAM you want to dedicate to GIMP. Uh, that's important because you need to kind of know your system, you need to know how much RAM you have, you need to know what kind of photographs you're going to be working with, more than likely. If you've just gone out and purchased the latest, greatest digital still camera, and you're shooting 20 megapixel pictures, you know straight off the bat that you're going to need half a gig, one gig of RAM 
uh, to dedicate to GIMP to really work effectively. If you're doing something maybe four to six megapixels, you can throw it in there. I dedicate half a gig um, to GIMP out of a full gig in my computer, and I've, I've never had a problem with it. In fact, I have found the GIMP to be one of the most reliable uh, and the most robust image editors that I've worked with out of, out of any other image editor on, on the market, free or otherwise. So let's go ahead and open up the GIMP together, and uh, you'll have to choose for yourself as to how much, uh, how much RAM you want to dedicate to the GIMP. Uh, and just keep in mind that obviously, you know, the more RAM you uh, give the GIMP, the more the, the larger pictures it's going to be able to handle, and uh, the faster you'll be able to work. The more layers you'll be able to have once you start getting into uh, layered images, uh, you'll you'll want you'll probably want that flexibility. On the other hand, of course, if you don't have the kind of system that can support that kind of uh, that kind of RAM expenditure on one program you might want to be a little bit more conservative. First thing that you see in the GIMP when you first launch it is the uh, GIMP tip of the day. Always read those. Those things are great. Uh, no matter how often I use it, eventually I see a tip that is just really cool, and uh, if I can remember to start using it from that set in within that session, then it kind of starts to, as I start to pick it up, and I, I really start to use them a lot. The more that you, you know, if you can, if you have time to play around on GIMP and in a relaxed environment and just kind of really get to know it, uh, you'll start to pick up on keyboard shortcuts, and that's really the, the, the default way of working on the GIMP, is, is u utilizing keyboard shortcuts. Um, mouse movements, GIMP users try to restrict their mouse movements to things uh, regarding their photograph, like retouching their photograph, rather than swe sweeping over to the opposite end of the screen to go pick up a tool when you can just hit a key and get that tool uh, instantly. And, and I'll be referring to the tools that we're using both by their, their names as they appear in your tool palette as well as by the keyboard shortcut that will bring it to you uh, immediately. After we close the, the tip of the day, we see two windows. The two windows in the GIMP are the tool palette, and that's the one with the file, extensions, and help menus at the top. And then you see a whole row of, um, of tools. Um, there's the marquee tools up in the upper left-hand corner. There's, there's the rectangular marquee, and if you drag your mouse over those, a tooltip pops up and tells you exactly, or more or less anyway, what they do. There's um, a drawing, there's an ink drawing tool, which does really great simulated ink. Uh, lots of really great tools that we'll try to get to, um, certainly the most important ones. Below the, the immediate tool palette, there are two boxes. One is black and one is white, and then there's an arrow kind of pointing to either one. That is called... Uh, the color swatch. So anytime you want to color, change a color of, of say, a paintbrush or, a, or an ink pen, this is where you're going to go. And we can even see, if you click on, on the black uh, color swatch, it brings up uh, change the foreground color. And it gives you um, a, a variety of, of colors to choose from and a variety of different ways to, to choose those colors. Next to that is a pattern and a brush selector, which will We'll be using some different brushes, so we'll get into that in a minute. Oh yeah, and in the bottom half of that um, of that window are the tool properties. So if you note uh, that as you select different tools, the bottom half of the tool palette changes to reflect the different options you have for each tool. So let's go ahead and click on the rectangular selection tool. So that's the upper left-hand corner of the tool palette. It should be right under the file menu. Rectangular selection. You can also just hit R to, to get that. And you see that the, the bottom half of that tool palette changes to say Rect Select, 
and there's different modes. We won't change those modes right now. You can feather the edges to make your your selection softer, less hard of an edge. Um, you can do. Um, you can even. You can define what area um, your your tool will select, or you can just do it completely free. Uh, so now let's, for instance, click on the paint bucket. So if you hit uh, Shift B, that will give you the, the paint bucket, and you'll see uh, on the bottom half of the tool palette, the bottom half completely changes, and it corresponds with your different options for for a bucket fill. Uh, you can choose the opacity, uh, the compositing mode, whether you're filling the foreground color, which right now we've set to blue, or the background color fill, which is still white. Or you can fill in a pattern, and the, the GIMP provides a, a number of different patterns that you can use. Um, so there's anytime you have a tool and you're not happy with the results, be sure to check that bottom half of the tool palette. It's going to give you a lot of different options uh, of, of different things that you can do with those tools, and who knows, you might find something useful. And um, GIMP is all about customizing your, your tools and your environment so that you can get the best work done. The other window that is open in the GIMP by default is actually high, uh, even more customizable than the tool palette. It, it, by default, uh, there's a layer and a channel and a path tab, I believe. I've changed mine so much by now that I, I'm not, I, I don't particularly remember what exactly all of the tabs are, but definitely a layers uh, tab. And and so up at the top, those little those little boxes, you see three white planes, sort of, um, or sheets of paper kind of stacked on top of each other. That's the layers tab, and that will show us all the different layers that we have in the GIMP. And layered images are very important in graphic design and in digital darkroom because it allows you to make changes to things almost as if as if though you laid a sheet of um, acetate or or um, clear celluloid over another sheet of paper. So that you, you've probably seen animators um, animating on those clear sheets of paper, and then they lay them over the background, and that's how they it makes it appear that an animated character is is, for instance, against um, a shot of the Grand Canyon. This is the same idea in the GIMP. We're able to to lay clear sheets of glass over and over our original image to add and to modify everything because, of course, we're looking down through those sheets of glass, and so anything that we see in the glass, we see on top of the original image. And we're going to do a lot of that together. The next tab over is the Channels tab, which we, we won't really get into, and there's the Paths tab, which I would love to get into, but it might be a little bit... Uh, complex for for the first time we'll see um, and you can always add tabs to this window and as you get familiar with more of the options that you have you might find tabs that you actually want to have right at your at your immediate um, grasp and to add a tab um, you'll see sort of um, right over on the right hand corner of the layers palette um, two two buttons there's the X which will close the tab and there's the um, the other one looks like a it's a triangle pointing to the left, and that is a drop-down menu, and you can add tabs, you can close tabs, detach tabs so that they become their own independent uh, windows, things like that. So definitely feel free to play around with that kind of thing once you get familiar with the interface itself. Speaking of the interface itself, let's let's go ahead and open up an image that we can all look at and modify together. So I think the best way for us to all be working and looking at the same image is to stop by Flickr. Flickr.com, uh, as you probably, as you may know, uh, is a photograph hosting site, and many of the photographs on their site 
have been given over to the Creative Commons license, meaning that people are free to download them and use them and redistribute them as they please. Now, I'm going to include links on a page at my podcast's website uh, that will point you directly to the images that we'll be using today. That page, uh, that you can stop there, stop by there right now, actually, thebadapples.info slash linuxreality. So that's thebadapples.info slash linuxreality. That should take you straight to the... Um, the page with the links to the, the Flickr photos. Um, I, I didn't attach, I didn't include the images themselves on the web page because I, I want you to be able to download whichever photo size you think your system would handle uh, with the most grace. Um, but the first one that we'll do, we're going to do a little bit of retouching. Let's um, let's open up the, the Flickr title is Laurel, and it's a shot of a girl uh, in maybe an NYC uh, subway station. And it, it's very nice. It's a very good photograph, I think. Uh, and the girl's, you know, looks great in the photo. Uh, we're going to go ahead and download that. So if you right-click on the image and save the image as, um, we can call it laurel.jpg. I'm going to go ahead and download the, the largest size, which is only 1280 by 960. Um, probably most most systems are going to be able to handle that. But if you need to, if you think you want to do a smaller one, just so it, it it's maybe runs faster on your system, no problem. Either way, we're going to go over to the GIMP, we'll go to the File menu over in the Tool Palette, we'll say Open. Keyboard shortcut for that is Control-O. I just saved this to my desktop, so I'm going to select laurel.jpg and bring it up in GIMP. And now that's opening a, a window that um, we can call the Canvas. And you'll see that there are menus up above the canvas window as well. Uh, the select, the view, the image, the layer, the tools, filters, script foo, all those those menus we're going to definitely use a lot. Uh, you'll see that in the canvas there are um, there are some there's some information down at the bottom of the window, and this is actually really important information. If you mouse around over the the image itself, you'll see in the very lower left hand corner of the canvas uh, that it gives you the pixel coordinates. Uh, of where you of where your mouse is uh, along that image. So if I start up at the top right corner, I might be at roughly you know two two zero or zero zero or negative eight negative four. It just depends on kind of where you are. But uh, you you go to the the approximate center of the image, you'll see roughly six forty four and four seventy four. So it's giving you how many pixels over and how many pixels down you are along that image. The first one being the x-coordinates, the second one being the y-coordinates. The next uh, little, the, there's a drop-down menu just to the right of the coordinates. Uh, right now it's labeled in pixels, px, but if you would prefer to see, for instance, the inches that your photograph would take up, you can select inches and your rulers become now measured in inches instead of pixels. It really depends on whether you're working toward printing this out onto paper, or whether you're working more just to keep it digital and to maybe have the option to go out to paper, but also to have the option to do web, things like that. It's really just a matter of preference. It doesn't change anything. It's just a, it's whatever you think in. If you, if you think in inches, then go for it. Centimeters, go for it. Pixels, go for that. Um, I'm much more uh, associated with pixels, I think, than, than, than inches or millimeters, so I'm going to go for pixels. The next drop-down menu after that is the magnification. And this, again, isn't changing anything. It's just how we're looking at the picture. So right now, this being a fairly large photograph, 1280 by 960, on my 15-inch monitor, um, I, I can see 
the whole photograph, but I'm only seeing it at 50% of its true uh, pixel size. So think about your monitor. Um, your monitor might be, for instance, 1280 by um, 800 pixels. 1280 pixels across, 800 down. Well, if that's the case, then obviously a photo that is 1280 by 960 won't really fit on your monitor. So you have to kind of shrink it down in order to see it all. Um, so it's important to realize that we're not seeing necessarily every pixel contained in that picture in, unless we're zoomed in at 100%. And yet at the same time, if we don't zoom in, if we zoom in at 100%, we're not seeing the entire image. In fact, let's go ahead and click on that little magnification drop-down menu and go ahead and click to 100%. And now you're seeing a much closer view of her, perhaps, which is great, um, but obviously it doesn't give you the whole picture. Now, there are two things that you're... You, you want to work at your picture, on your picture, at 100% sometimes, but you also want to zoom back out to kind of get a feel for what you're doing uh, to, to see the whole... The, the big picture, as it were. Right now, we're going to be doing some detail work, actually, on her face. So you want to zoom in at 100%, and then you want to maneuver your, your, your canvas so that you're looking at her face. The way to maneuver around your picture, once it's magnified, is actually, again, at the bottom of the canvas window, but all the way on the right. There's a little crosshair. Uh, looks like a St. James cross. It's right under, it's right above the cancel button, actually. If you click on that, it gives you a little preview of the whole image, and you can kind of drag your navigator box around. You'll see a small box. Uh, you'll see the little uh, thumbnail of the picture, and then within that thumbnail, you'll see a little box. And that little, the, the smaller box in the thumbnail is representing what we're actually seeing in our canvas. So I'm dragging my thumbnail, my little box, along my thumbnail to uh, to center her face uh, pretty much in the middle of my canvas and now I'm going to uh, we're going to get the, the the one tool that you're going to be using all the time if you're going to be doing retouching it's the paint using patterns or image regions tool a long name for a simple tool the keyboard shortcut something you're probably going to use a lot more is the C key what the the what the brush does, what this tool does, is it clones from one area of the image uh, to another area. For instance, just to the left of her nose, she has a, a little blemish, um, just, just at the top of her cheek, right at the base of her nose, top of the cheek. So we want to get rid of that, maybe. Um, she'll thank us. Um, so what we want to do is we want to find a place, a spot, a patch of skin that is very similar in, in shade to, the, to that area of her face, but that we can kind of borrow from and graft over the blemish. Try to locate uh, a good patch of skin that wouldn't stand out completely if we were to kind of graft it over, over the blemish. I'm going to go down a little, just a little ways on her cheek, very, really following the, the curve of her cheek. I'm going to hit Control. That's the Control key. And you'll see your cursor change as you hit control. Right now, by default, the tool's cursor shows a little um, no pass sign. It's a circle with a cross through it. But if you hit control, it becomes a little crosshairs. So that's asking you to target the area of her skin that you want to borrow from, that you want to copy or clone. So I'm going to control, I'm going to find a good spot of skin, and I'm going to click once. Okay, so now what that's done is set our origin. From that point, this brush is going to copy. And now you'll see 
that your brush, if you, you'll release your control key, you'll see that your brush is now a little paintbrush, or a little uh, circle rather, with an arrow by it. And that's, that's the, uh, that's, if you start clicking, you're going to start painting uh, in relation to where you clicked in the first place. So very delicately, you just kind of want to paint right over the blemish. Okay, so right away you probably see how, what a harsh correction this was. It, it probably, unless you've done something that I haven't done, it's a very harsh um, stroke. It, it, you, you've painted over it, you've gotten rid of the blemish, but it's very obvious that, that you've gone and grafted skin over the blemish. Alright, so we hit Control z to undo. What we need to do is basically feather our brush. Brushes can be hard-edged, or they can be feathered. Feathered is what it sounds like. It's a softer brush. It's as if though we were lightly painting over something rather than maybe stamping over it. So since we have our, our, our tool selected already, the bottom half of the tool palette has a lot of different options for us to, uh, to choose from. One of them uh, is opacity, the next one is mode, and then there's brush. Okay, that's what we want to click on, that brush. If you click on it once, it brings a whole list of all the brushes that you have available to you. Now these are actually all customizable as well, but let's try to use something that they've already provided for us just for sake of, of uh, brevity. Um, if you keep going down the, the list of, of, of brushes just past the hard circles, you'll start to get into the circle fuzzy range. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and grab a circle fuzzy 15. So that's 15 pixels in diameter. Uh, which isn't terribly large for this image size. Um, and we don't want it to be too large. So now we've, we've already selected our source for the brush, so we can just start painting over that blemish again. And we'll see if that gives us a better result. If you do it delicately, if you do it with a delicate hand, you'll see that it actually really, really works really nicely. And it blends in really, really nicely to the rest of her skin. Doesn't look airbrushed, doesn't look fake at all. And that's what you're going for. You're going, obviously, for the most natural retouch that you can get. If you need to readjust uh, your brush, you can always hit Control and find a new point to clone from. And as you clone, and it takes some practice, but as you clone, you'll kind of see, uh, you'll actually see an image of your brush kind of trailing along after you. It, it's a little crosshair. And that's kind of showing you where that brush is, is taking its, its source from. So you might have to readjust your, your point of origin from time to time uh, if you're covering a lot of ground. And go ahead and take a moment to practice. She's, um, it's not that this picture is bad or that this person needs any kind of help or anything like that. It's just that, that in, in pictures sometimes we can, we can, we can do some things that, that in real life we, we don't cover up all the time. And the idea is to bring the attention to the person um, rather than to a blemish on their skin. And eventually you'll, you'll, get, uh, you'll get to the point where uh, you have retouched her successfully and she'll look uh, very nice and like she got a lot of beauty sleep. Okay, so now what we can do to zoom back out, you can go to that drop-down menu on the canvas where right now it says 100% and you want to make it 50% or 66% or whatever, uh, or you can just hit the minus key. Minus or the plus key, so that's shift equals on the American keyboard anyway. And that zooms you in and out. 
So that's a, a very handy shortcut that you'll probably want to get familiar with because typically when you're retouching, you're going to be doing a lot of, of that kind of zooming in and out because you need to get in there to make sure that you're covering all the pixels of the blemish or, or the red eye or whatever you're retouching. But at the same time, you want to get a feel for the, the whole image because you never want to uh, miss the forest for the trees. Okay, so on the left-hand corner of the picture, there's the yellow stripe for instance, uh, on the ground. It's uh, the yellow stripe right in front of the, the subway tunnel. Um, there are some black marks on, on that yellow stripe. Um, if you have the same image that I have, uh, you should be at 50%. You should be, uh, the coordinates would be approximately 36 by 860. So again, you can find your coordinates in the lower left-hand corner of your canvas. If you mouse over your image, just try to find uh, the coordinates uh, of like 34 and 876 or thereabouts. So if we zoom in on that area of the picture, and again, to zoom in, it's just shift plus or, or shift equal rather, and then to move over to that, that area of the image, just click the crosshairs on the right-hand bottom of the canvas and move your little, your little box along the thumbnail until you see the, uh, the part that you want to edit in your canvas. Uh, we'll we'll choose a larger brush because all I want to do is just get rid of those black marks off the yellow stripe. No real reason, they're just bugging me. Again, the idea here is to bring attention to the subject of the photo, you know, the person. So we'll we'll get a bigger brush for this because this is a really kind of, this doesn't need to be a, a very delicate job. We just need to get rid of the, the marks on the yellow, um, the yellow stripe. So we'll go over to the bottom of the tool palette and select the Circle Fuzzy 19 uh, brush, which is just going to be a little bit larger. Select some, some solid yellow, and just practice getting rid of that dirt. And it's good to practice this because uh, a lot of times when you're not used to this brush, y you'll, 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 you'll move things around over, over, the, uh, over the thing that you're trying to cover up, forgetting that you're trailing this, this ghost image of, of your original brush behind you and you'll you'll bump into the side of your canvas or something or you'll you'll go off the edge of the subway gutter and and suddenly you're you're painting a new subway gutter in your image so really practice with this little this brush because it's it's a very important tool for retouching it's something you're going to be using all the time if you're going to be doing any amount of retouching it's a very it's a very good tool because you can literally just graft certain sections of of a texture uh, and, and put it right over some kind of imperfection that you're trying to, to eliminate. Very, very great tool. So one of the, the weaknesses of this photo, I think, is that um, the girl blends in so much with her environment. There's, there's so much else to see that's completely as in focus as the rest. Now, one of the th things about traditional film, traditional film cameras, is uh, something called depth of field, which is basically how much... Uh, is in focus and how much is sort of blurry in the background. Digital cameras are infamous for keeping everything into focus. It's very hard to get things not to be in focus on a digital camera. It seems like either everything's in focus or nothing's in focus. Luckily, there's digital darkroom. We can fix that. The way to do that is first to add a layer to this picture. So we'll add a new layer, which is obviously found in the layers palette. So right now we just have one layer. It's labeled, it's labeled background. That's the default layer for, for any uh, first image that you open in GIMP. But to add a layer, there's a little button down on the lower left-hand corner of your Layers palette. looks like a little page with a star by it, and that's your new layer. So you can click on that, and you can, it, it'll bring up a dialog box asking you to name your layer. 
It's a really good idea to name your layers. Get in the habit of doing that now because when you start getting lots of layers on a picture, you come back even a day later and you start to wonder, wow, what's in all those layers? What have I been doing? Well, if you label them, at least you have some idea of what you have been doing. So I'm going to call this uh, layer DOF, that's depth of field, and we will say OK. Now to do an, a simple, easy, uh, quick mask is in the Select menu, and the Select menu is in at the top of your canvas. There's File, Edit, and then Select. Go to Select, and down there at the very bottom, there's Toggle Quick Mask. That's the Shift-Q button. So if you do Shift-Q, don't panic, it turns your image completely uh, red. Or not completely red, but it gives it a, a red sheen. Well, that's the Quick Mask. So that's basically saying that right now our entire image is selected. What we need to do is subtract from this mask what we do not want to have selected. So we're cutting out a shape in maybe a piece of paper, if you could imagine that. So that through this little piece of paper, we want to be able to see the actual subject of the photograph. So if you grab your eraser tool, which is in your tool palette, you can do it quickly by hitting Shift-E gives you your eraser tool, and it'll give you a, a brush. Now we're going to need a much larger brush, or it's going to take us all day to cut out a hole in this piece of paper. So to get a larger brush, we'll go over to the bottom half of the uh, tool palette, or rather the, the top half of the tool palette, but sort of towards the bottom. It's just to the right of the color swatches. Uh, you should see the active brush, you should see a pattern, and you should see the active gradient. So it's a, it's three little images. One is a little circle. One probably shows a pine pattern, like the, the pine tree, pine, and a gradient. Uh, and if you mouse over them, you, you'll, you'll see that you're, we're talking about the same thing. It's the active brush, the active pattern, the active gradient. So we're going to click on the brush, the active brush. And that should bring up a whole new dialog box dedicated to brushes. If you don't get that dialog box, you're not clicking on the right thing. Make sure that you're just under your tool palette, just under the tools. So that's about the middle of the, uh, the tool palette itself. This new dialog box concerning brushes, um, again, has a couple of different options. And what we're going to want to do is create a, a brand new brush. And down at the bottom of our little brush dialog box, the first one is Edit Brush. There's a button that says Edit Brush. And the one right, just to the right of that says New Brush. It looks like a little piece of paper with a star by it. So we'll click on that, and it brings up a brush editor. We can call this brush something. I'll call it um, Large Circle. Again, the more labels you give your, 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 your things, uh, really the better. And the first um, selection, or the first choice that we have is the shape. We'll keep it on circle, I think. Then we have a radius that we can choose from, so we'll make it quite large. Uh, for this image, since we're at 1280 by 960, I'm going to just kind of roughly say, I don't know, 90 pixels. Or thereabouts, any, anywhere near like 90, 96, 83, whatever. Whatever's easiest. Uh, you can type the value in as well if you want to be very precise. A couple of options down, there's a hardness uh, slider. Right now it's at 0.5. Uh, brushes can be very, very soft with zero soft with zero hardness, or they can be very, very hard with one uh, hardness, 
we're just going to leave it at the default, which is 0.5. I, that's a pretty good default for what we're going to be doing. And there are a lot of other options there. Won't get into it. Bottom left button in this dialog box is the save button, so we'll save that. And then close the dialog box. There should be a little, um, there should be a brush with a little plus mark by it. And that's, uh, that's the one you've just made. So select that, take that over to the canvas, click and drag just within the girl's, uh, just within the, the girl. So it's, it's, get her shoulders and erase. Basically, you're just getting rid of all the red stuff. And remember to take your your finger off the mouse button from time to time because if you make a, a mistake and you have to press undo, you don't want to have to undo everything you've done from the very first thing that you clicked on. You want to give yourself a couple of levels of undo. Great thing about GIMP is that you do have a lot of levels of un undo. You can do, you can just keep undoing and undoing and undoing. So use that to your advantage. Erase a little and then let up. Erase a little and then let up. Erase a little and let up. And that way you don't have to do such mate. If you undo, it doesn't just undo like so much. So I'm just erasing the red from from the girl. Try to get as much of her hair as you can, but we want to get a nice clean mask around her. Now if if you if you step back and look at it and you realize that maybe you've you've put a little bit too much, um, you, you've erased maybe too much. You can add mask. You can add some of that red by just grabbing your paintbrush and painting onto the picture, and it'll actually add some red to that. And just keep in mind that after we're finished with this, we're going to turn this mask off, and it's all going to turn into an area that has been selected. So just kind of play around with your eraser and your brush, and if you need different brush sizes, you know how to get different brush sizes now, so you can do that. But I've got a pretty good cutout of her, I think. So everything in the background is now, it's got that red sheen over it, but the girl is coming through totally clear. So what we're going to do is now go back up to the select menu and go down to toggle select uh, toggle quick mask and select that again and voila so she selected and the background is not so what we're going to do is right click on her and we get a little drop down menu right there in our canvas and you're going to select copy and now you're going to go up to your layer palette and make sure that your DOF layer is active. So select your DOF layer and you're going to hit Control V to paste. So basically we've pasted her over herself. But right now she's just kind of floating there. So we want to attach her to that DOF layer. And the way that you do that in GIMP is down at the on the bottom of the layer palette there's a little anchor. And you can hit anchor and it plops her down onto the DOF layer, and you'll even see her little thumbnail there, surrounded by the checkerboard. Remember, the checkerboard is always the portion of the image that is invisible. So the reason I do this is because this way I have her on her own layer, and I can screw around with the background image uh, independently of screwing around with her. So now we're going to select the background layer, and we're going to go up to the Filters menu, which is at the top of your canvas. We're going to go down to Blur, and we're going to select the Gaussian Blur. The Gaussian Blur is kind of a soft, uh, realistic-looking blur that uh, you can use to fake the, the, the depth of field effect. I like to kind of start low on blurs. So let's say um, there's the horizontal and the vertical uh, pixel blur, the blur radius. So let's just set that to 15. And then we'll say OK. 
Now, if that's not quite enough of a blur for you, you can hit Control-F, and it will do the exact same blur again. Basically, Control-F just repeats whatever filter you've applied to the image. So anything that you do in your filter menu, if you decide you haven't done quite enough of it, then you can do it again, and then again, and then again. So keep blurring it until you feel that it's a realistic uh, blur. And eventually you should get to a point where it's not too blurry, but then again it's not quite in focus either. And that should emphasize the actual subject of the, fi the, of the photograph, that is the girl, and not so much the background, which really isn't as important. And just as one last thing that we could do to this photo, just for fun, let's click on the DOF layer. That, so that's just got her in it. And in fact, if you click that little eyeball uh, next to the background layer, click on that, you can see that it kind of it drops the background right out. So we have her on a nice clean layer, just all on her own. But for now, we'll just click on the DOF layer to make sure that's the, the active layer. And we'll go to our Layers menu at the top of the canvas go down to colors, go down to color balance, and we're going to add a little bit of, of warmth to this person. Uh, it's a pretty good photograph, it's well exposed and everything like, like that, but she's looking a little pale to me. And when people are looking pale, I like to add just a little bit, a little bit of, of what we would consider is uh, amber in the photo uh, photography world. To do that, we're going to select the midtones. Human skin is always in the midtones. You can bet on that. If you have a picture of a person, their skin is in the range of what we would consider mid-tones. The shadows are the dark areas of the picture. The highlights are the, the very bright areas of the picture. The human skin is just, it happens to be of a shade uh, that falls within the mid-tones. And that's why we have mid-tones. And we can affect just those mid-tones if we make sure that that's the one selected. There are some sliders right underneath the midtones, uh, underneath the, uh, the the ranges. There's cyan on the left, and then there's red on the right. Magenta on the left, green on the right. Yellow on the left, blue on the right. So to add some red to her, which we want to do, do want to do, uh, we'll select, we'll we'll move the the top slider over toward the red, and do that until you get a, a level of about forty. We're also going to add just a little bit of yellow. So that's the bottom slider. There's yellow and there's blue. So you're going to move the slider a little bit toward the yellow, maybe until you get like a negative 21, and say okay. So now we've added a little bit of, of warmth to her skin tone, uh, just to kind of make her look a little bit more alive. And if you do an undo, you'll see the difference, and you'll see that it actually adds quite a bit. So Control z to undo, Control y to redo. And you'll see that the difference is... is is very substantial. It really gives her a warmth uh, and a, a sort of a, a life, uh, whereas before it was really a lot harsher, and you didn't even realize it was harsher. It's just that as you look at it compared to to a little bit of color correction, suddenly she's she looks great. So that's that's kind of a, a very naturalistic uh, portrait kind of retouching, uh, colorizing, and um, and stylizing of a photograph. And to save this, we would just go up to the File menu. We would say Save As, and we can name it Laurel, maybe Corrected. And the last three digits, or the, the last three letters, should be whatever format you want to save it in. Now, since we have a layer present, we can't really save it as 
a JPEG and preserve the, the, the layer structure of our image. So if you think that you might want to come back and maybe put some other people in the picture behind her, or um, change the color of the background, or something like that, something that would rely on the fact that you have her separated on her own layer, then you want to preserve that layer structure. And the best way to do that is to call is to save it as a GIMP uh, picture. Uh, the extension for that is XCF. And so if you save that, it'll save it uncompressed, it'll save it with its layers, and you can always open it back up in the GIMP and change it. Now, if you save it as some other format, like a JPEG, well, you're losing some quality in the end. It's going to be a smaller file size. Um, you know, it just depends on what you're trying to do with the picture. I typically save it either as a, a XCF, which is the GIMP file format, or a PNG, which is kind of a generic, um, s sort of a, a nice small but but not terribly compressed uh, image format. So I'm going to call it. I'm going to save this as an XCF, in case I want to come back and play around with it at all. Save it back to my desktop, and um, and I, I think that's that's that picture. Let's say you've got a 3800 by uh, 2400 pixel uh, photograph that's really really nice and large. You think about it, it's a couple, it's a few 15 inch screens um, full of of picture. It's obviously too large to email too large to post on the web. Now, it seems like it's a great size for, for printing, but the, the catch there is that in order to print, you need your picture to be somewhere around 300 dpi. Because screens read pixel for pixel, and printers uh, sort of do the opposite. They, they need to cram as many pixels together as possible so that it gives you the illusion of complete and smooth flowing colors. Think about when you've seen a bad printout of a picture, or think back to the dot matrix days of printers, where things were always printed out in little little dots. Um, they, they didn't look very realistic, they don't look like what we associate as good printed photographs. So to get a really f great print of a photograph, you want to make sure that your digital camera or that your digital composition in GIMP uh, is is high enough in pixel size that you can then cram all those pixels together really, really tight so that you can then print it out in a really smooth looking photograph. The best way to do that is in your image menu, which is at the top of your canvas. Go down to scale image, and here you have a choice of image size and the X and the Y resolution. Now right now the image size is measured in pixels, 1280 wide by 960 high. Not terribly large really. Let's look at that same number in, in inches. So I'm going to select that drop down menu there to the right, look at it in inches. So actually it's 17 inches wide, 13 inches high. Well I don't have paper that's 17 inches high and 13 inches, 17 inches wide and 13 inches high, and besides I don't want the photograph printed out that large. Well, that's perfect. If I move my resolution up, my page size will go down. That's because I'm cramming all those pixels tighter and tighter tighter together and getting a smaller and smaller photograph that's going to be clearer and clearer and smoother and nicer. So if I go down here to my X resolution and click on the arrow and, and pump it up, keep, keep going up until you get a nice, I don't know, approximately maybe a 4x6 image. You can also just type in manually uh, what number you would like to reach. 
So according to my calculations, more or less, on a 1280 by 960 pixel image, I'm able to get a really a pretty sharp image uh, of 240 pixels, uh, 240 DPI. And I'll, I'll get a, a photograph that's about a 4x6. It'll be actually 5 five and a quarter by almost four inches. But that's a, a nice size, I think, for, for that kind of quality. Uh, this is why you want to make sure that you're taking your photographs in the highest megapixel possible if you ever intend to print them out. You really want to make sure that you've got a lot of pixels in that image that you can cram together so that your printer prints it out really as much like a photograph, a traditional film print, as you can possibly get. Of course, the opposite is true for the web and for email. You don't want to send people huge email uh, photograph files that they have to uh, download for, for, for an hour or two hours, depending on their system. Again, you would go to your image menu at the top of your canvas, go down to Scale Image, and this time you'll bring the resolution down to 72, but you'll also bring the actual pixels down to something that would be reasonable for the screen. Now, if you think about screen sizes, if you know the screen's resolution, uh, then what they're going to see in email or on a website is relative to their screen's resolution. So if I have a 1280 by 800 monitor, which I do, um, if I have, for instance, a 600 by 600 photograph, then that's going to take up approximately a little bit less than my, less than half of my screen. That's not so bad. Uh, but even more common for email, especially, is something more like... Um, you know, 500 by 300 or 500 by 400, something like that. Got to make it friendly to their email client. Uh, for the website, it just depends on how large you want it. If you're going to post it to Flickr or some photo hosting site like that, you might as well give them the full size because they scale it for you. Quite nice of them. If it's on your own web you, uh, website, you might want to uh, keep it fairly small so that you're not hogging the space on your server. Uh, or causing any long down download times, but keep in mind that you can also scale it when you're doing your HTML. A really cool thing about GIMP is that it actually has a separate print size from image size. This is a very handy tool that other photo editors uh, either don't have or have in a very convoluted form. If you go to your image uh, menu, just above the scale image, you should see a print size selection. Select that one. This brings up a similar box, but this is solely for the printout. So you can set your printing resolution independently of your actual working resolution, which is a really handy shortcut. Other than that, printing from the GIMP is, is straightforward. Just make sure you've got some good ink and some good photo paper on hand, and uh, print away. Now obviously this walkthrough has touched only the barest surface of the GIMP. There's a lot more that you can do with the GIMP, there are advanced tips and tricks. Podcasts and podcasts could be filled episode after episode on tips just about the GIMP. Um, and in fact, I did do a GIMP walkthrough uh, with more advanced compositing techniques and uh, sort of a more graphic design-oriented walkthrough of GIMP on my own podcast, The Bad Apples. So you're welcome to stop by thebadapples.info and check out episode 15 uh, which is the walkthrough of the GIMP. Uh, the podcast itself is a little bit Mac-centric, but it's all about how to destroy your Mac and make it into basically just another Unix box and to use only open-source software on it. And in fact, the podcast is edited entirely on an Ubuntu Studio distribution. So it's uh, very Unix-friendly, very open-source-friendly. Feel free to check out episode 15 
there's a demo file that you can download and, and really follow along and do exactly what I'm doing uh, there on your computer in GIMP. And it's got a lot of some, some more advanced tips to it. I hope you've enjoyed this walkthrough, and I will see you on the Linux Reality Forums. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed this guest uh, podcast on the GIMP. I would like to thank Klaatu from the Bad Apples podcast at thebadapples.info. Uh, please check out his podcast. It's really great stuff. And uh, this has just been a fantastic uh, fantastic episode. I'd really, again, like to thank him for putting it together. Great sound quality, great recording, great material. Uh, and, you know, again, if anybody else out there would like to uh, submit a guest podcast, just drop me a line. I've got one or two more in the works, hopefully, here soon. Uh, but I'm looking for more. So any of these topics that, you know, uh, things like this, like this, like, you know, like the GIMP, that's a perfect example of something. Uh, it's something that I don't know that much about. So it's much better for someone who does to talk about it than me. Uh, all right. So you can drop me a line. You can uh, check out linuxreality.com slash contact for all the ways to reach me. You can send me an email to linuxreality at gmail.com, including those audio listener tips. You know, if you want to record one for that contest, just uh, send it to me as an attachment to email. Uh, there's also the forums, linuxreality.com slash forums, the IRC channel, and uh, loads of uh, listener contact, you know, listener voicemail numbers that you can reach on linuxreality.com uh, slash contact. I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm thinking, I think I'm getting a little bit of a cold right now. Uh, so before I, it goes any further, I should probably just go ahead and sign off. Thanks again, everybody, for all your support, your donations, your feedback. It's just been fantastic. I really appreciate it. And once again, thanks to everyone who took the time to say hi to me at the Ohio Linux Fest. It really was a blast. I keep thinking back to it, and uh, it was just such a great time. Can't wait to go next year. All right. hope you all uh, have a good week and a good weekend. I'll catch you all next time. This has been Episode 80 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.